So we'll start with Ephesians. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is, this is not from yourselves, it is a gift from God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And we're also going to read from Revelations chapter 5. So again, you can follow on behind me. Or if you've got a Bible, it's on page 1,240. So Revelation chapter 5. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the centre of the throne, encircled by the five, four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased the for God, the persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and in a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honour and glory and power for ever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. 
someone mentioned to me a couple of weeks ago, should, um, maybe Trinity Grove should be a um, Ugg boot and uh, blanket friendly church. And I wholeheartedly agree with that. Feel free. Next week is this guy. I'll bring you Ugg boots, bring you blankets. I've got no problem with that whatsoever. I don't know that I can do it from up the front, but that's okay. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks that we can uh, be here to uh, have fellowship together and hear your word. We've heard it, Lord. Help us to consider how we can uh, live by it now. Help us over these four weeks as we think about our identity as a a church um, in deep ideas and concepts and in real practical ways as well. Help us to please you. Amen. Um, Now I think hopefully by now if you've been coming along you've got a picture of why this series but just in case um, you you haven't uh, uh, quite got that clear yet have you ever done something and then asked yourself why did I bother with that? Not a rhetorical yes is that have you ever done that done something and thought that was a waste of my why, why, why did I bother doing that it happens a lot I reckon when we do things just because we do them when we just kind of happen to go on because that's what we did yesterday that's what we did the day before sometimes actually at work when we're told to do something and we can think of a better way to do it but we do it the other way because that's the way we're told and we think, why did I bother with that? It made no difference whatsoever. Sometimes investing in a friendship and, and you think, I did everything I thought I could and it, why did I bother with that? Why bother with friendships? Why bother with doing work the way the boss tells me? Why bother with church? Why bother with every Sunday coming on a morning like today, coming every morning. Why would we do that? Well, on one level, we kind of know, maybe. Maybe you kind of know. But as a new church, I figure it's a great chance for us to sit back and think, let's really nut out our identity and why we do bother. Now, I'm not spoiling the end to say, there is a good reason and we should keep coming. That's the end point, not, oh, you know what? We should pack all this up and go home. It's not worth it. It is. But what's it mean? Why do we do it? What should it look like when we do come together? What should our community, when we're not together on a Sunday, look like? How do we think about Trinity Grove? And that's what this four-week series, the sermons and in the community groups we focus in on bits, um, is is all about. It's what our banners have been all about from the beginning. And in one way, I'm really preaching explanations of the banners over the next four weeks. And I think it would be helpful as we go through, and probably today, um, today's probably the meatiest one in some ways, um, the one that, to follow the logic, is really helpful. And if you've got the outline there um, in, in the leaflet, um, in the booklet there, that might be helpful for you to see where we're going. Uh, you can have a Bible open. I'm going to flick a bit. Um, I think nearly all the, all the verses will come up on the screen, but it's helpful for us to think about who we are. And when we think about who we are, you'll see on the outline, the number one thing that I want to suggest to you is that God 
is first. Not my place, my relationship with God, not how I'm going to get something out of it. God is number one, the starting point. He is at the absolute centre. Our starting point is always God. What He wants, what He thinks, what does He do, what is His like, His, his character. That's Trinity Grove's starting point. But why? But why? And I want to suggest to you it's because of why we exist, why we've been made. It's because we exist for God's glory. See, we believe a grove that this is the reason for our being is to bring glory to God. The Bible says glory over and over again, but there's a little bit of a problem. I don't know if you've got words like this in your life, but this is one of, uh, one of the words, I think. Some words you kind of understand and yet you never do understand. They're kind of partly attainable and, and, and quite not. They're, they're, there's so much beautiful complexity to them that they're, they're not easy to get a hold of, even when you think you do. I think there's lots of words uh, like that. I don't know if any come, come to your mind, but glory is one for me, and I think that's by the nature of what it's talking about, God's super magnificent splendor, His reputation, His holiness. This word is kind of the word used to describe God and His brilliant weightiness. Like It's kind of a word which, at its rawest, means weightiness. It's a word which means... which is kind of related to reputation. It's a word which highlights how spectacular our God is and how different He is. His holy character is glorious. And you don't have to go very far in the Bible to find the word mentioned over and over. We sing it in a lot of our songs. It's almost the word that we miss. And today's not the day where I'm going to try and give an exposition of all the meaning of that word. Uh, today we might do that another time when we come, come across it. But the Bible talks endlessly about God's glorious magnificence, His weighty difference, His splendor. The Psalms do it over and over. And when the Psalms do it and talk about His holiness and His goodness, what seems to go with glory all the time is praise. If you've ever read a psalm, you realise that they, they move to, even if they start with lament, they move to praise. Praise and glory seem to kind of rub up against each other and sometimes they're used interchangeably. But when we get to uh, the end picture, we see glory take centre stage. Jen read for us, helpfully, uh, Revelation chapter 5. And in Revelation chapter 4, there's a setting that's set of the throne room, John has his vision of heaven. It's a vision of what it looks like so we can understand the eternal picture. And in Revelation 4, the setting's set with saying God is um, the one who has glory, honour and power. And then in chapter 5, in verse 11 we read, Then I looked, this is John saying what he saw. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. 
Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on all the and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever he is glorious the picture the little snapshot we get of where everything is heading is one of all the creatures all bringing him glory and honour and praise. That's the end point. And so it's not surprising to say we exist for God's glory if that's where we're heading. But it's one thing to say that God's glorious. It's another altogether, I think, to say our purpose is for God's glory. That's another thing altogether. Are we really for God's glory? And you could even say, I don't know where, you, where you're at with this idea of what our purpose is. It kind of just sounds a bit disappointing and lame. Is that really all that it's about? Well, on the surface, we have to say, well, God made us that way. There's a great psalm, Psalm 8. This is one I don't think I put up on the, on the slides, um, Nathan. Psalm 8 is a great psalm talking about the sovereignty and magnitude of God and about our humanity and how God sees us and how we're small and yet he's placed us in such a, splend, uh, a, a splendorous position that we are given such a beautiful uh, place in God's scheme of everything even though we are so small compared to his um, glory. And then in verse 5 we read, let me read it to you. You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honour. God has crowned us with glory and honour. God has given us a unique privilege amongst creation. Our uniqueness in creation really sets us apart from every other created thing. We exist to give God glory. As you see in your outline, I want us to try and think about this from the point of view as image bearers. We are image bearers of God. That is where our uniqueness comes. The fact that we have this um, relationship of glory with God is because He has given us something which is quite extraordinary. We see that in Genesis chapter 1. Have a look at Genesis chapter 1. Uh, verse 26 to 28 with me. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God he created them. Male and female he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. See, no one thing has been made in God's own image except us. That, those verses point to the very fabric of who you are, your identity, what matters to you, your purpose, when you see that you have been made in the image of God. 
there'll be a time when we talk about what the purpose of life is in general and how we decide what we do in life by considering the fact that our self-esteem, our identity, everything that we hold dear is wrapped up in this, being an image bearer of God. You see, what we're seeing is God wants us to reflect Him. We see in, in 1 Peter, be, you know, the, the whole idea of being holy, because God is holy. In Philippians, having the attitude of Christ Jesus. We're constantly um, seeing in different ways the New Testament telling us we are to be, take on the character of God. See, there's no doubt, though, you can be an image bearer of God and being, uh, and being down with the fact that you need to take on His characteristics. That when you see God and you're to reflect Him, you want to take on who He is. Now, I'm kind of hoping at some point along the way, my kids will get some of my good traits and just not my bad ones. <laughs> that they'll reflect the good qualities of... I hope hopefully there's some that they pick up on and not just see the times when I do things wrong and reflect those. But that's what you do as, as a, a parent or as a mentor or in a workplace where you've got someone that you're trying to um, help work through uh, how they do their job. You're trying to show them and model to them and they reflect back what you are like. One of the, one of the funny things that happened... I haven't seen it yet, yet, but when I did MTS, I used to do this thing when I started preaching. I used to do this. Do you know why I used to do this? Anyone have a guess? Because my trainer used to do it, and I just did it subconsciously. So if you see Jack picking up some of my quirky traits, you can take him down for those, all right? That's, he doesn't need, need them. But you do, you reflect. You pick up the characteristics, attitudes. Well, you, you pick up the characteristic of God. But I think we actually need to go back and look at Genesis chapter 1 and see that it's even more than that. Because what's tied up with being made in the image of God in the passage? You see, in the passage, we see it's being tied to ruling and subduing creation. Let us make m mankind in our image, in verse 26, in our likeness, so that they, that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky. In, the, in verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. We have been given an extraordinary job and task by God and to be an image bearer of God, you do it by His character, but we are in charge of the world. We are the ones who rule and subdue the world. Now, we could go in, I could do a whole sermon on what those words mean and, and then lots of debate rages about, about this. But what we need to get out of our heads, um, helpfully, is this is not a context of negativity. We kind of have rule, subdue in the box of that's tyrants and that's people maybe abusing or treating people in a dicta dictator type of way. Whereas rule and subdue here is about taking the world and doing with it what God has done under him. It's to care for the world, but more than that, be in charge of it, 
It's to subdue it in the sense of you are actually the one who has to tame this world this, and, and deal with it rightly. And we have been given this privilege as image bearers of God. He has given us his godly character and under him we bring him glory when we image bear him. That's how we bring him glory. That's what we're, we're told we're made in his image to be image bearers. We exist for his glory, so that's what we do. Now, you could take two positions at this point. I'm not interested. I don't really care about doing that. I, don't, I'm not, I just want to get on with life and find my own meaning, my own purpose. And God can say that's purpose, but my purpose is to be successful in my job. My purpose is actually to have a family that is functioning well and loves me. My purpose is to have a healthy life, to get to life without any major dramas, to get through. Whatever decision you make, you can say that. But by doing that, you have to line that up against God's plan and you have to say well I am consciously making a decision to say well God your purpose for me is rubbish and if you choose to do that you need to be aware that's what you're doing sometimes when I was, when I was a, a, a teenager I, w- I remember constantly thinking Particularly, I think it was like year nine and year ten. I particularly think was thinking when I was at school, the teachers' plans for me were rubbish. I just, I just, it was that time when what they wanted me to do, I didn't want to do. That's not, I'm not, that's not unusual for someone of that age to do that. You just constantly thinking, yeah, but no, yeah, but no. You can't take that position with God's saying you exist for His glory. Or you could say, not so much about whether I like it or not, I don't like God if he's like that. What a tragic God it is if he needs my glory. How lame is that, that God needs my glory? Let's be under... And I actually have had conversations uh, with, uh, with people I, I, I love and, and, and know uh, recently like that, where they say, well, I don't, I don't like God if he's like the God you're saying thing is God does not need our glory he does not need us to magnify his magnificence he's completely content and happy within himself and because of his love and his extraordinary um, grace which we'll see he's chosen to give us um, this relationship with him and this position he's not in need of it you know like the Greek gods who constantly are needing praise and all those clash of the titans and the gods are up there and they need praise so that they can continue on and and be powerful that's not our God if we're going to bring glory to God as image bearers we need we need to actually understand we can't be ambivalent to praising him so what we're seeing is To bring glory to God is our actions and our words 
are for him. We praise him and we obey him. And what we're actually doing is we're pulling out the magnifying glass. We don't actually add to his glory. We magnify it. I think that's the most helpful illustration that I've heard explained to me is that when we live for God, when we image bear for him, when we obey him, when we praise him, we're shining a light, we're magnifying the glory that he already is, his splendour. But here's the problem. Point two. But the image has been shattered. Our ability to bring God glory as image bearers has been devastatingly shattered. No sooner does this picture happen in Genesis, we get to Genesis 3 and the story of how humanity rejects God's purpose. How God gives a relationship and humanity rejects it and says, I don't want a relationship with you under your ways, I want to be you. Like in Genesis uh, 2.15, we see um, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to work it and take care of, care of it. I am um, not quite the, exactly the right verse. Let me just get it for you because I think it's helpful. Genesis 2. And in verse 16, And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. God has said, You're not to do this. This is for me, not for you. And Adam and Eve have rejected that. The short story is, they've said, God, we're not going your way. We want to be you. We're the idol in our life. This is why the world is so frustrated. It's why we see, we can see glory in creation. Creation's beautiful and spectacular sometimes, isn't it? Some of the sunsets you get up here at Golden Grove are just spectacular. But the picture is broken. The world is shattered. How many times do we hear about violence on the news? How many times do we hear about people being so badly treated for no reason that people can't even eat in parts of the world just because that's where they were born? The world is broken. We are in rebellion of Him and in conflict with Him. The reality of the situation, though, is not just that the world's shattered. The reality is far worse. Romans 3.23 sums it up in relation to glory. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of humanity doesn't match up. The problem that we have is in relation to God's glory and we fail. We fall way short. The whole drama of Romans up to that point is to show no one is righteous. Everyone has turned away from God. Everyone has sinned. And the summary is there's God's glory and then there's your failure. And the consequences are dire. Like in what we had, uh, Jen read for us earlier in Ephesians 2. It says it very clearly. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. The consequence is far greater than just seeing a frustrated world. The spiritual reality has eternal consequences. Death. 
And that is something you can't get out of. And so the logic of where we're going is we, have, we exist for God's glory. God is glorious. We see He's given us this um, uh, reason for existing. We see it through being an image bearer, but we shatter the image. How can we have a purpose that's the God's purpose for us? It's because of the next point on your outline. The grace imperative. That everything is seen through grace. Everything is seen through grace. That is what we need to see. See, what hope is there? It's, it's grace. We exist for God's glory by His grace. That great chapter in chapter uh, uh, 2 of Ephesians makes that point so beautifully for us. I think verse, is verse 8 up on the screen? Verse 8 and 9, beautiful, yep. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And it is, this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by work so that no one can boast. It is by grace you are saved from your shattered image that you have done. See, grace, very clearly, if there's anything you need to be crystal clear on, I think it's this, is undeserved favour. God giving you something you don't deserve. It's a gift, freely given. And God's grace for us goes way beyond just salvation. In our um, uh, first community group, this is so important, the whole study is just on grace and how we're created by grace. We even live by grace. And here we're seeing the only way that we can have life, life eternal, is by God freely giving it to us. And we need to be clear, we, the part we play. Verse 1, as for you, you were dead. You can't play a very good part when you're dead, I reckon. You can't do anything. But just to be clear, in verse 8 he says, It is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. You can't do anything. You've got it so messed up. But God's great act of love and of mercy in Christ, He freely and completely gives us His Son. In Ephesians, a bit earlier in verse 5, it just says, He's made us alive with Christ when we were dead in our sins. Jesus dies in our place to pay the penalty for us rejecting God so that we can be restored. We don't deserve it. That's why we talk about grace all the time. We don't deserve it a little bit. I love percentages because I love... the. I just like the idea of when I was... Actually, this is a bit of an indictment on me, but I'll admit it. When I was at uni, I, had, I, loved, I learned to love percentages because I loved 50. Because it meant I could do the next subject. And the indictment was, I just made sure I got 50 and didn't try any harder. I didn't go any further. I just tried to get 50. And that was to my shame, to be honest. 
But what I realized is I like percentages. And early on in my understanding God, I kind of thought subconsciously, and I think we kind of do subconsciously, Jesus died for me. He's done so much for me. And you know what? I'm not going to go with 50%. I'm going to go with about 99%. But that other 1% is up to me to get over the line. That other 1% is coming to church. Not, yeah, but really just being a good person. Or just, just doing certain things that I know God would like. I remember as a kid putting, you know, we always get 20 cents. It was 20 cents that we get to put in the, the plate as it got passed along. Done. That little bit. That'll just help a smidge. At Trinity Grove, we say that thinking is a disaster and has no place in God's church. Because, one, we can't do anything because we're dead, and two, because it's such an insult to God who in Jesus has sent His Son to die on the cross for us completely which is so beautifully explained here in Ephesians and everywhere throughout the Bible, the grace of God. It's so important we should go over and over again God's grace. It's given undeserved favour as a gift. We see in that um, verse that we respond in faith. Now there's also a danger here as well that's important for us to remember. Faith isn't like a backdoor good work that we do that's ours. That we, we actually, um, Jesus died for us and my works that earn my salvation is trusting in Him. It's our response to what God has done, our response to trust Him, to turn back to Him, repentance. But it's all a gift from God. We are dependent upon the Spirit, even for that. And we see that in that passage, where it is, by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. It's a response. It's not your 1%. I'm running out of time, but if you today understand grace like that for the first time, trust in it and know you have absolute assurance of where you're going because Jesus has done it all. And I'd love to help you work that out more if that's uh, what uh, you need. I'll skip by that and move on because what I want us to do is I want us to see we exist for God's glory, but we can only do it because He's done everything for us. That's the nutshell of what I've tried to show in deep kind of ideas. What does it mean then to be a Trinity Grove member? Each week, there'll be a bit about God being first, and there'll be a bit about what does it mean to be a member of Trinity Grove? What's it mean today? What's it mean to be a member of Trinity Grove well, we love the grace of God we are wanting to work that out more and more in our life and when we get it wrong turn back to him and come back to grace we want to magnify God's glory we see we do this in all of life the last passage to uh, show you is Romans 12 therefore I urge you brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, His grace, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, 
holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. What is worship? What is the extent of worship? Everything we do. All of our life is worship to God to bring Him glory and honour. We do it sacrificially. We magnify. We put the magnifying glass out to show the world God's reputation, His gloriousness. We live for grace, we obey God, and we help each other do that. That's what it means to be a Trinity Grove member. We magnify God's glory together when we praise Him. When we do come together, we worship together, we sing praises to Him. You cannot say, I'm wanting to exist for God's glory, but not want to sing when you come to church. Even if that's not the type of person you are. I'm not that kind of natural type of person. And I've taught myself, and I think this year more than any, it has been to my benefit. God wants you to sing with a joyful heart. If the Psalms don't convince you of that, the picture of Revelation doesn't convince you of that. Colossians just says it bluntly. Sing songs together. Colossians 3.16 It's good for you to magnify God's glory. It's good for us to sing and to sing boldly. Each week, um, when we get to this point, I'll point out to you, there's someone who's actually thinking about this for our church. Jack is responsible for thinking about how we magnify, keeping the pulse on what that looks like. Not just in music, which he does with his uh, skills of that, but generally as a church, that is his focus. And one of the things uh, that he said um, time and time again to me is that um, who are the most important musicians when we are together? Who do you think it is? Is it the guitarist? Is it the singer who leads? Is it the drummer? You nodding, Ben? You think it's the drummer? (laughs) (laughs) Who is it? It's it's you. Music is you. You are. It's us singing praises to God to build each other up. The guys up here are helping us, leading us. They're living sacrifices, serving us so that we can do that. That's what it should be. The moment anyone stands up here, the moment I get up here and start to think about how good this talk is today, whether it's good or bad, and I think, yeah, that was a cracker. Well done, Michael. (laughs) I wasn't thinking that was... (laughs) If I was to think that, if I was to think that, you know what? I'm sacrificing that a little bit. And you know what? If I'm being honest... There's been times when I've probably done that because I'm human and struggle like you do. Can you see where we're heading? We want to give everything to God. That is our priority. And so we're going to understand grace more and more. We're going to want to praise Him in everything we do. We are going to take Romans 12 and be living sacrifices and worship Him in everything. Because that's what God wants of us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks that we exist for your glory. What are us humans that you are mindful of us? 
It's extraordinary, God, what you've done for us. Your grace. Not only did you make us as image bearers, you in your mercy sent your son to die for us when we rejected that. You didn't throw us away. You gave us your son. As a small group of your people meeting together in Golden Grove week by week, we ask, Lord, that you will help us to shine a light on who you are, to bring you glory, to praise you. Not for our sake, because that's just ridiculous, but for your sake. Help us always to live by grace. Lord, there's much more that we can talk and think about in what it means to live by grace and help us to do that over the uh, the week as we start community groups over the uh, coming weeks and months and years help us to be a community that is known to be dependent upon your grace in Jesus mighty and powerful name we pray Amen